a lot of superhero movies have been coming out. And, uh, why do, and, and they do well at the box office. Why do they do so well? What is it about people with superpowers that, that attracts us? We wish we had them, right? What superpower would you want if you could pick your superpower? Super strength? They say flying? Flying. That's, that's the dream, right? How many of you would choose invisibility? Like the, all the young people want to choose invisibility so they can sneak around and do all the things that they can't do around their parents, right? That's what they want to do. They want invisibility. Why is invisibility, invisibility cool? It's cool as long as you can control it, right? But what happens when you cannot control when you are invisible? What about when it seems like no one wants to see us or know us? When people use invisibility as a weapon against us? It's like we don't even exist. Um, after after the, uh, the last show on American Idol, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a show that came on called Glee. How many of you watched it? I am the only person. Okay, we've got one, two. Okay, very good. <laughs> How many of you watched the American Idol final? None of you. Okay, some of you. Okay, all right, cool. Um, but this show that came on is called Glee, and, and it was the first show, the, the premiere of it. And the show is about a teacher in a school who's trying to get the Glee Club started again. And he goes to the principal and he asks the principal if he can start this glee club again. And, and his, uh, his motivation, what he told the principal was, all of these kids in this school feel invisible. That's why they all have a MySpace page. And I thought that was so profound. Um, and in our youth group's case, it would be everybody has a Facebook page. And, you know, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but, but what, what do we put on our page? What do we want people to see? And how many people can see it? You know, the biggest craze in Facebook right now is, is there's this quiz application, right? And, and you, can, you can use this to take, to take quizzes. And these quizzes are made up by, by random people, anonymous people, who apparently uh, cannot spell or use proper grammar at all, um, and you answer these quizzes, and these quizzes are supposed to tell you something about yourself. Uh, now, now you may know which Muppet character you really are, okay? These are, these are actual quizzes. Uh, how obsessed are you with Twilight, okay? And the teenagers know what I'm talking about. Uh, what, what type of underwear would you be? These are real quizzes. Or how white are you? Okay? This is a quiz that I need to take. I took the quiz. I am 0% white, according to Facebook. <laughs> according to Facebook, I am 0% white. All right? So we know how reliable that is. Uh, who's whiter than me? I mean, come on. You know, and all that's fine, and, and, and it can be harmless entertainment. Um, but then, once you take these quizzes, Facebook publishes it 
to every single person you know. And so what you thought was just harmless fun, now everybody knows uh, what kind of drunk you are. Or how rude are you. These are real quizzes that I see people taking uh, on Facebook. And all of this is in the name of being seen and being known. Why would you do this unless you wanted people to know these things about you and to be able to see you? So, so this morning, uh, young people, we're going to talk about this issue of uh, feeling invisible and how you deal with it. Feeling invisible to your friends, to your parents, or just to the world in general. How does Jesus deal with this issue? Turn with me to Luke chapter 18, and we'll see that, that Jesus has this covered from all kinds of different angles. How does Jesus make the invisible visible? Luke chapter 18, verse 35. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter. As he drew near to Jericho, that's Jesus, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray. Father, there are many of us who, who can walk around, even in this church, and feel invisible, and feel disconnected, and feel unloved. Lord, this morning I ask, uh, as I speak your word, that you would have mercy on me, that you would give me grace to speak your word by your spirit, and that your spirit would penetrate all of our hearts to see other people and to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so as we set the stage, we see Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem just before the triumphal entry. Jesus is, cut, is right at the end of his ministry, and now he's got a crowd following him, and everybody is caught up in this moment. But, but the first thing I want to p- point out in this passage is that, is that, yeah, we have a blind beggar, but he's at the entrance to the city. And so being blind, it was impossible for him to work uh, because everything is invisible to him, right? He can't see anything. And so he had to find a means of income. And being the clever fellow that he is, and, and he took all his college marketing classes, uh, he knows where he needed to sit to make himself visible. Location, 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 right? So he sits at the entrance of 
the entrance to, to one of the cities that everyone passes through as they make trips to and from Jerusalem. This is what Jericho was. He knows that many people will be able to see him and hear him from this position, which is what he desperately needs to do in order to survive. And our reality is that many people do feel invisible. And so to make themselves visible and known and validated and acknowledged, they turn to all kinds of things. This man put himself in a position to be noticed. And we do that in so many different ways. We put ourselves in a position to be noticed. Some people turn to knowledge and say, well, if I just know everything about everything, then people will notice me and respect me and love me. We've all run into this person, right? They're going to they're gonna give you their opinion on, on a topic whether you ask for it or not. Right? And they're, they're just making sure that you know how smart they are. Because that's how they define themselves. That's how they identify themselves. Uh, I did this in college with, with cars and with sports. Men tend to do this with sports in particular. They can tell, spit off every stat about any player or, or any team or whatever it is. Uh, this is we, we, we want people to know how smart we are, how much we love our team. Some people turn to alcohol. Some people uh, turn to an image, a certain lifestyle. Some people want to be a gangster because they see those guys get respect. And so that's how, you know, if I don't do that, no one's going to notice me. And so I want, to, I want people to know me. And so whatever I have to do, I'm going to make sure people see me. Girls can do this in their clothing. They're going to make sure they're not invisible to guys. So they're going to wear revealing clothing, skin-tight clothing, to make sure they are visible. But... But all of these are unhealthy ways of of becoming visible. Because even if we are successful at getting noticed for these things, we usually only end up hurting ourselves and feeling more unsatisfied because we're not really being ourselves. Outbursts of anger tend to get us caught in trouble, get us disciplined. Uh, putting on sexy clothes or cute clothes. This is the word they use. It's cute. Um, girls, that only attracts the kind of guy who is not going to respect you. And the, the person that knows everything about everything, they just come across as someone who's just full of themselves. Full of themselves, know it all, and, and nobody likes that. Um, This blind man was being very deliberate in who he wanted to see him. And not just anyone, but people who could help him. And it just so happens that Jesus walks by. And so Jesus is walking by and he asks the crowd, what's all this ruckus about? And they say, you know, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He's passing through the town. And this guy flips out. Obviously, he has heard of this man, Jesus, who can heal, right? He's cured leprosy. He's fixed lame legs. He's restored a withered hand. He's raised people from the dead. 
and of particular interest to this blind man, he's heard that Jesus can heal sight. He can restore sight. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He calls him the son of David, which, which in the Bible is a messianic title. Uh, saying, you're the Messiah. I believe you're the Messiah. But even Jesus uh, makes sure that we understand the significance of this title, son of David. It doesn't just mean that he was a descendant from David. Uh, In Matthew 22, if you want to turn there, you can. You don't have to. Um, Matthew 22, Jesus is, is talking to the Pharisees, and he explains that the son of David is more than just a man. Matthew 22, verse 41, says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. And he said to them, How is it, that, how is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. And nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Um, Jesus just, he he knows how to shut you up with a question. Um, And so Jesus is explaining that the son of David If you're going to call me the son of David, you better know what you're saying. It doesn't just mean I was a descendant from David. It means I'm the Lord. It means I'm the Messiah and I am God in the flesh. And so when the beggar called him son of David, he was acknowledging who Jesus was and confirming his belief in him. This man had no doubt about who Jesus was and what he could do. And after accepting who Christ was in in his person, in his nature, that he was God in the flesh, that he was the the Messiah, then he asked him to have mercy on him. And the progression must be the same for us. We must believe in who Jesus said he was before we can ask him to do anything for us. Because if, if you don't believe... Jesus was who he says he was, then then he really has no power. And then what's the point in praying to him? If he wasn't who he said he was, if he was not God, then he's a liar. Then he doesn't have the power to save you. And what's the point of praying to someone who has no power? So faith in who Jesus is comes first. Then we ask him for help, which is what this man does. And this man's humility is is kind of surprising to me because, you know, a blind man might have thought, you know, know, I've been dealt a rough hand in life. It's it's not fair that, that I have to beg and I can't even work. Certainly, I deserve to have my burden lifted. I mean, it's tough being blind. You know, Jesus would see that and just say, oh, yeah, you're blind. I'll, I'll fix you real quick. Um, but this blind man doesn't do that. 
He cuts instantly to, I need mercy from you. Um, as, as pastors, we get to observe lots of people. Uh, and we get to observe them at different stages in their journey with Jesus. And, and sometimes you run into people who are at this stage. And it's really cool because they've just, they've just been seeing how sin is, their sin is totally blowing up their life. And they aren't blaming anyone else. They're not going to blame mom or dad or, or their friends or their spouse for their bad decisions. They aren't looking for excuses. And just like this man, neither can we. When we come to Jesus, we come seeking mercy. Not demanding anything as a payment for how good we've been or for how hard our life has been. Saying, God, you owe me this. We do not have that right with Jesus. We ask him for mercy. But the crowd that is traveling with Jesus is obviously not into this man at all, right? The crowd rebukes him. They tell him to shut up. They tell him to stay invisible. We don't want to see you. We don't want to deal with you. And I think, I think they do what just about any one of us would have done. Imagine. You're walking with Jesus. You're enjoying being around Jesus. Praise and worship, we're doing our Bible study. We don't want anyone to disturb our pleasure, right? And someone comes in screaming. And they're... You know, he's blind, so he's probably not well-dressed, and, and, you know, he's probably not too hygienic. Um, probably covered in dirt. Who knows? It says he was sitting on the roadside, so you can imagine the dust that's kicked up on him. I can imagine myself doing this. Someone coming in and disturbing my pleasure with Jesus and just being like, dude, Different t- now is not the time, is what we would say, right? Now is not the time. Stay invisible. Honestly, there are, there are times with the teens when, when I just wish they would stop talking. Um, not you, Carrie, of course. Um, but just sometimes they just say something that is just, where did that come from? It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. It's just a cry for attention. Um, you know, or they just do something really silly. And, and I don't always have the right patience. And, and I get frustrated. Um, but how does Jesus respond to this? Here's the first way. The first way that Jesus makes the invisible visible. Jesus commands those same people that were telling the blind man to shut up and stay quiet to bring the man to Jesus. Jesus forces them to acknowledge this man and to see him. How embarrassing for these people. 
How humbling. But this is what Jesus does when he wants to get into our own heart. He's going to make us uncomfortable. He's going to humble us and confront us with our own prejudices and our own lack of compassion and allow us to see people that we would normally never look at. The beggar on the street, the goofy kid in class who, who always sits alone at lunchtime, those people who are just slightly off, you know, you're not quite sure what's going to come out of their mouth, and so you kind of avoid them. We'd rather not talk to them. But we know Jesus has shown us mercy. And so we know we should show mercy to them. And, and that's convicting. That's convicting to me, I know. Um, but the text says that this man didn't care what these people thought. It says he cried out all the more. He wasn't going to let anyone stop him from having an encounter with the Savior. He didn't care what they said about him, what they thought about him, or what they did to him. He was determined to meet Jesus. And for many teenagers, for many young people, your level of spirituality is determined by how much your friends are into it. By how much your friends are going to support you in what you're doing. Are you going to youth group tonight? No? Okay, I'm not going either. My parents don't force me to go to church, so I don't need to go to church. Oh, none of my friends are singing this song, so uh, I'm not going to sing either. Where's your heart? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to have an encounter with the Savior, no matter what people will say about you, no matter what anyone thinks? Because it's easy to just sit back when the first negative word comes, right? You take that little step of faith and somebody says, why are you doing that? Or, or they just give you a look or they don't jump in and participate with you right away. And they say something negative and that's all it takes. Uh, you're done. You're ready to quit. You're ready to never go back to church because church is just full of hypocrites anyway. And so you remain invisible because you refuse to cry out to the Savior and let others bring you to Him. I'm challenging you to be like this blind man and cry out all the more to Jesus. And in his crying, he gets to meet Jesus face to face. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? The man says he wants to see again. Not that Jesus would give him money or a house or a spouse to take care of him, but that he would be able to see. We see again this man's firm faith in who Jesus is. Because I'm pretty sure there was no other doctor that had ever healed a blind man. 
And due to his faith in Jesus, he is healed. This is what Jesus says. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. And his vision is restored. And so now what was previously invisible to this man, what he could not see, has been made visible. Now he can see others around him. But most importantly, he could see Jesus. He could see God. In John 14, verse 9, Jesus tells Philip that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Colossians 1, verse 15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And that word image there is very important. The Jehovah's Witnesses who were at my house a couple of weeks ago, they get very confused by this concept that Jesus is the image of God. What they say is they think it means that looking at Jesus is like looking at a reflection of God, an image, right? If you look in the mirror, you see your image, but that's not you. So they think if we look at Jesus, we're looking at a reflection of God, but that's not God. But what the word image actually means is to take something invisible and put all of its qualities into a physical form to make the invisible God visible. And that's what Jesus does. And that's why he can open our eyes to see who he is, to see God. And open our eyes to see other people around us. But there's, there's one more way in this passage that, that we see Jesus making the invisible visible. It says that as soon as he received his sight, the man followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Jesus helps others to see God and praise Him by what He is doing and has done in our life. So instead of of being embarrassed or shy about what God's doing in our lives because we're afraid someone might actually see us, that someone might say something about us, instead of being afraid of that, we should rejoice in what God is doing. We should make it even more known what God is doing. Be glad about what you're learning from reading in your Bible. Uh, Count it all joy when you go through various trials. Because people will see you go through those trials and end up praising God. To see that your God is a good God, He is a powerful God, and an active and living God. Not a God who is far off. Not a God that you only serve because you're afraid of Him. Afraid of what He'll do to you. Who wants to serve that God? We want to serve a God of love. God is certainly a God of justice and He does discipline us, but that is not all that our heart should be motivated by when it comes to Him. We love Him and praise Him because of who He is and what He has done. Glorifying God and praising Him 
are the ultimate purposes of what Jesus does in our life. How many of you watched the game last night? All the men. Um, uh, after the game, Dwight Howard of the Orlando Magic, after they defeated the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, said the reason his team won was because of God. And the reporters naturally, you know, they brush him off and they say, uh, we think God has more important things to worry about than a basketball game. Right? You know? But he insisted. He said, no, I'm telling you. It's because of God. We won this game. And, and I believe that if they beat the Lakers, uh, that you would, you, would see, you would see him give more praise to God than, than anyone on the Lakers would. Uh, so, so who should we be pulling for, Anton? Anton's a Laker. <laughs> if we want God to get the most glory, and we know that Dwight Howard is going to give all the praise to God if they win, who do you think Kobe's going to give praise to? All the Lakers fans say Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. The point is, God's ultimate goal is not just to take away our pain, although he does. Not just to save us, although he does. Not just to know that we are loved and we are seen, although he does that too. He loves to do all those things. But the final hope, the final purpose, is that we would turn it all back. Turn all that He has done for us back to Him to make Him more visible. We get to make the invisible visible. When we have a passion for God's glory, not just our own, not just our own glory, our own comfort, our own success, when we have a passion for God's glory, people notice. Like these people noticed what happened to this blind man and praised God for it. So, where do you need to put on some spiritual glasses to help you see better? Are there... Are there certain people that you don't bother with because they disrupt your schedule or, or, or your enjoyment of God? Who is Jesus putting in your path so that you can bring them to him like the people who brought the blind man to Jesus? Do you want to bring people to Jesus through rebuke, because Jesus rebuked you and made you, wouldn't it be better to do it willingly? What are the ways that, that you seek to make yourself visible to other people? Um, that, that if you really checked your motives, you know that they don't have anything to do with glorifying God. When you fill out that Facebook quiz... Will the answer to that quiz bring any praise to God? Is this how we really have to think? How much would our actions change if we thought, is this going to bring any praise to God? When people see this, 
and know this about me. Will God be glorified? Will God be honored? We don't want to be trying to impress everyone else while ignoring the one who is most important. The one who really matters. Like the blind man, we must be able to see Jesus and, and see him, uh, find our identity in him, not in what other people think about us. So how much do you let other people uh, hold you back from encountering Jesus? Can you make that commitment today to not let other people's lack of enthusiasm take yours away? Because when you die and you finally meet Jesus, teenagers, when you die and you finally meet Jesus, he is not going to ask you about your friend's faith. He's going to ask you about your faith. And what kind of answer are you going to give him? And finally, have you come to that place of confession where you are no longer blaming everyone else for your problems, for your sin, for your own foolish decisions that have brought pain to you and to others? That is where you need to be for Jesus to help you because otherwise you're just living in denial and living in self-sufficiency, thinking you, you can handle it. But God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, like this blind man who said, Lord, I just need your mercy. I bring nothing to the table. Believe on Jesus as Lord as God in the flesh. Believe that he paid the price for your sins by dying on the cross, being buried and rising again from death on the third day. And prove your repentance. Paul says in the book of Acts that we prove our repentance by good deeds. And following Jesus, just like this blind beggar instantly got up and followed him. Where are you at? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you, that you see us, that we are not invisible to you. That although no one else, it seems like no one else knows us, no one else sees us, you see us. You love us. That Jesus died for us because of his love for us and, and seeing the condition that we were in, that we cannot help ourselves, that that we need his mercy and his grace. Father, this morning I pray for those who are struggling with, with uh, just blaming other people for everything that's happening in their life. God, that, that you would show them their need for their own repentance. Father, I pray for those who, who feel the need to to do whatever it takes to get attention, to try to fit in. Lord, please show all of us that, that you are our hope, that you are our identity, and that you are a good God and we can trust you 
and love you. And we can bring others to you through our life. In Jesus' name, amen.